to the book of Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6. As you do turn there, I do want to let you know that we are very excited about what God is doing here in His house. And we have so much going on this month with uh, Christmas potluck this Wednesday night. So um, I encourage you to come on out this Wednesday night for the Christmas potluck. And that you would sign up for it uh, so that we can fellowship together. And also for Angel Tree. It's such an amazing thing to know that we have over 160 now children that are signed up so that we can support them throughout the San Gabriel Valley. So what a blessing that is that we're going to do a drive through experience for them. Give them the gospel. Give them a meal. And also um, know that we're partnering up with, with local businesses in the area that want to j- donate and, and give and, and be able to be a part of that as well. Uh, so please also pick that up on your way out. We're in Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6 verse 1. We're going to study today, this morning. And we've titled the message today, Faith That Is Fueled by Prayer. We're in a series on faith results in believing God. Results of believing God. In our first week, as we studied this series, we talked about trusting and obeying God. The life of Abraham. Trust and obey. And then we went to the life of Joshua where we learned that a faith and our faith needs to be strong and courageous. From trust and obey to be strong and courageous. And then from there we moved on to the life uh, and ministry of Jesus where he multiplied the bread and the fish. And we saw that our faith meets the need. Last week we saw then a work of faith as we studied the life of Noah and how God called them to move in faith and in godly fear. Today we're going to look at the life of Daniel and we're going to look at a faith that is fueled by prayer. You know that your faith is most effective when it is fueled by prayer now. Because people of great faith, notice this, are people of great prayer. Those people that are willing to take great steps of faith are willing to have a life of great prayer. In fact, it's been said before that unbelief and prayerlessness go together. (laughs) Doubt and prayerlessness go together. And if we as a church and you as a Christian, as a man and woman of God, want to be bold in your faith but without prayer, you're going to notice that we will fail. If you want to be bold in your faith, But without prayer, we will always fail. And here we're going to look at the life of Daniel, a man that was in Babylon, but wasn't from Babylon. He was a captive from Jerusalem, one of the Jews that was taking over to Babylon, and a spirit of Babylon, or a spirit of bondage, had overtaken the Jews. None of them were spiritually now alive. They were not praying. They weren't seeking the Lord. They were under fear and under the bondage of the enemy. No one was hearing from God. But here we see now David, a man that was living a holy life in an unholy world. A man that was living with strong convictions. A a man that was living with, with commitments now to holiness and he did not compromise. In fact, it was in Daniel chapter 1 verse 8 where it says that Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. What did Daniel want to do? He was committed to holiness. 
because he was a man of great prayer, because he was a man of great faith now, and he decided that he would not defile himself or corrupt himself in a dark world. He was a holy man in an unholy world. And we're going to see here in Daniel chapter 6, as we look at our Bibles, that he faced three crisis moments, and the Lord gave him victory and deliverance over every moment of crisis. You know, for many of us, we're living in a year of crisis, and it is our faith that has sustained us. It is our faith that is keeping us taking steps of faith, even in moments of crisis. And here we're going to see here these three different moments, or three different crisis moments, in where the Lord delivered and gave Him victory over each and every one of them. It was the work crisis, it was the prayer crisis, and it was the faith crisis. Now let's look here in Daniel chapter 6, verse 1. It says this, And it pleased Darius to set over the kingdoms 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom. And over these three governors, of whom Daniel was one, the, the satraps might give an account to them, so that the king would suffer no loss. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps because he had an excellent spirit that was in him. And the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. So the governors and the satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom. But they could not find no charge or fault because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. Let's pray. Lord Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, because we get to approach your word this morning. And we ask, Lord Jesus, right now, by the power of your spirit, that you would speak to us, Lord. That we would have a faith that is fueled by prayer. A faith, Lord, that remains strong in moments of crisis. A faith that trusts you, Lord, in the moments of uncertainty and of fear. Lord, speak to us this morning from your word. It is in Jesus' name we pray. And together we said, Amen. Now we see here in verse 1 that King Darius now, or the king of the Persian Empire, was in reign and he was ruling now. And this king, what he did is he set satraps or officers and governors over different regions of the empire there in Babylon, as had the Persian Empire taking over Babylon during this 70-year period of bondage. And what happened is that this king Darius, as he came here, he sent these leaders, but among them, these leaders, was Daniel, one of the officials, one of the governors now, that he set, was set there so that the king, notice verse 2, would suffer no loss. Now what the king did is that he set leaders and governors and officials to be stewards and managers for accountability purposes so that the, he would no suffer no loss of either taxation or gain from the kingdom. However, something is interesting here in verse 3 that we learn because Daniel is among one of them. And it says in verse 3 that Daniel distinguished himself now above the governors and the satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king gave thought to sending him over the whole realm. Now notice what happens here. Because Daniel was distinguished. In fact, that word distinguished means that Daniel was preferred above the others now. And he was preferred above the others because he had exceptional qualities. This man, Daniel. And the exceptional qualities came of, because of the excellent spirit that was in him. 
So the king thought, I should make him or promote him over the whole kingdom because of the exceptional leadership qualities that he has. In fact, what it says here about Daniel, that he had surpassing abilities. Now we learn very quickly in verse 3 that Daniel had a sense of leadership. He had a good reputation among those in the kingdom now. He had a good ability and, and a good attitude now to work now. A good revelation of the God of heaven now. And God had put Daniel in a place of influence. God had put Daniel in a place of leadership so that he can now help usher the Jews back to Judah. So we see here that Daniel here, he was a busy man with a lot of responsibility, with a lot of stewardship now. But his main occupation was prayer. Now, yes, you might be busy. You might have a lot of responsibilities, a lot of titles, a lot of things going on. But is your main occupation prayer? This really teaches us that we ought to be praying people. That the busyness or an excuse of a busy schedule never gives us the liberty to leave prayer at the end of our day. Do you see how, how Daniel had a priority to pray? In fact, as he had these exceptional qualities and an excellent spirit now, the king saw, I should promote this man. But verse 4, it says that there was opposition here. Notice, anytime that God wants to use our lives, anytime that God is going to test our faith, we will experience natural opposition. Opposition from the enemy. And we see here in verse 4, that says, So the governors and the satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful, nor were there any error or fault found in him. So now here, these other governors and officials, they sought to come against Daniel now, looking for a reason to disqualify him. Why? Because an ungodly world does not want those that are godly to be in places of leadership. And he knew, they knew that he would get promoted. And just like the unbelieving world today, and the world that we're living in, it doesn't want the believers to be in charge, even if they're more gifted or exceptional in ability or they're doing a, a good job at the assignment that they have and they're, they're, they're being efficient. Because light always reveals what happens in the dark. So these men come with an evil intention, an evil motive, but they could not find. Notice in verse 4, any fault because he was faithful, nor there was no error found in him. Now here there are two words that describe the character of Daniel. The first character quality that we see of Daniel, a man of faith, was that he was a man that was faithful. What does it mean to be faithful? It means that he was trustworthy. They can find nothing in Daniel because he was a man that was trustworthy. He was a man that was serving now, and he had a good reputation, a good testimony in his workplace. Now this already tells us what kind of testimony do we have in our workplace that reflects now the character of God. And it said not only that he was trustworthy, but it also says here that he, there was no fault found in him, verse 4. What does this mean? That not only he was trustworthy, also he was blameless. Trustworthy and a blameless character. So here he's speaking to us now in verse 4 that we have been introduced to a man that was uncompromising in these areas and he was a man of integrity. So it tells us as we continue reading verse 5, Then these men said, We shall not find any charge against this man 
unless, or Daniel, unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Now, what are they doing here? Well, they say, you know, we can't attack anything in his life because he's trustworthy and because he has integrity, because he has godly character. And unless we attack his faith, there's nothing that we can do in order to stop him. So what does the enemy want to come do? They want to come and attack our faith. Now, they're going to come and attack an area of Daniel's life that he was never willing to compromise. And they come here as a direct attack to the faith of Daniel. Now, doesn't this really sound like the day and world that we're living in today? Where as a believer, maybe you want to live out your faith and you feel the pressures now of believing and having a commitment with God. The pressures of, of coming to church, the pressures of fellowshipping with one another, of standing for truth and for holiness and for compromise. Now you see here that people of faith will face opposition. It was in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, that Paul tells young Timothy, he says this, Yes, and all those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, what are they going to do? They will suffer persecution. And what is Daniel suffering here? He's in the face of opposition. He's in the face of persecution now. But he's going to do one thing as he starts to see the conspiracy that the enemy comes to do to try to stop the life of prayer in Daniel. You know, the enemy is always going to come up with a plan, with a conspiracy in order to stop the church and the work of God. And we see that in our world today, using several behind-the-scenes agendas to stop the work and the teaching of the Word of God at church and in our world and in our culture. In fact, in verse 6, it says, So the governors and satraps thronged before the king and said, Thus says to him, King Darius, live forever. So they're coming to the king and they're coming with flattery. They want to flatter his ego. Oh, that's king, live forever. And look at the conspiracy and the proposition that they've come together to plan and to plot against Daniel. And it says this, all the governors of the kingdom, the administrators and the satraps and the counselors and the advisors have consulted together to establish a royal statue and to make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now what does this tell us? That they come with a lie to the king. First with flattery and then with a lie. They come, O king, how great you are. They're flattering his ego now. Because they want to come in, in a good now tone to be able to receive what the request is. And that's a plan against Daniel. But notice what they say, all the governors and satraps have consulted together. Now they came with a lie, with a deception here to the king. Because they never consulted with Daniel. And Daniel was one of the governors. Yet Daniel was one of the officials. They came with a plan conspiring here that anyone who would pray or offer up prayers to anyone within 30 days outside of the king Darius would be now thrown into the den of lions. Do you see here how they're bringing now a plan or trying to convince the king in his own best interest so that they can attack the faith of Daniel? Do you see that they're coming here and plotting? This is how the enemy comes, not only with flattery, but also with deception in order to stop the faith of the believers. And he'll come and try to not only attack your faith, but try to disarm you by attacking your prayer life. Because your faith 
is only as strong as your prayer life. Ask yourself today, how much time do I spend praying? When I feel the opposition from the world saying that your faith is to, to, to be cast to the side, that you no longer can worship or gather, or you cannot seek the Lord with boldness and with conviction and with passion, what is it that it causes us to do? Oftentimes what we want to do is talk about it. Oftentimes we become frustrated or even angry. And, and, and in our anger, we fail to do what we're called to do, and that's pray. Here Daniel gives us the perfect example and the perfect model as to what we are to do in the face of opposition. Because as they come here, these, these officials with this plan, he goes into prayer. Notice verse 10, verse 8 and 9. Now, O king, establish a decree and sign the writing so that it cannot be changed according to the laws of the Medes and the Persians. That does not alter. Therefore, King Darius signed a written decree. Now he's saying, why don't you sign it according to the law of the Medes and the Persians that not, not, not even a king can alter or reverse this decree or this order that you've given. So the king signed it thinking that he was signing something in his own best interest for his own royal glory. But verse 10, it tells us that here we have a prayer crisis. What does that mean? That in crisis we ought to go to prayer. And it says here now that when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his home and in his upper room with the windows open toward Jerusalem. He knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as was his custom since the early days. Now this is amazing. What an example Daniel gives us. Because it says here in this very verse, verse 10, that Daniel knew. <laughs> It wasn't that Daniel didn't know what the consequences were to pray to someone else or offer worship to someone else besides the king. But it says that, that Daniel knew now, but that didn't stop him from obeying. You see, there's often times that things that discourage us, obstacles that discourage us from obedience. And I ask you this morning, what is stopping you from ultimate obedience? What is it that's hindering you from obeying the Lord, even in difficult circumstances? Because when Daniel knew what these circumstances were, what these consequences were, it didn't change him because Daniel was a God-pleaser. He wasn't a man-pleaser. <laughs> and you know what happens when we fail to pray? We become man-pleasers. Because we fear man more than we fear God. But men and women of prayer fear God and don't fear man. And that's what you see in the convictions of Daniel, that it didn't stop him praying. In fact, that he went to his upper room. What did it say? That he opened now the windows. He wasn't hiding, looking towards Jerusalem or the presence of God, and he knelt down on his knees. What does it say? That even in the face of this opposition or this threat or this law now, he knelt down in submission to God. He knelt down in surrender to God. He knelt down in obedience to God. What an example now. Because the physical kneeling was a, was a posture of his heart. It was an outward expression of an inward posture of the heart now. And he came to kneel. I, I want to ask you, when was the last time that you spent time kneeling down before the Lord in prayer? Where you say, Lord, I, I must kneel because this is an outward expression of an inward posture this is how my heart is. It's fully submitted to you. It's fully surrendered to you. I feel the pressure now or the circumstance that I'm in right now, the crisis that I'm in. 
so I must give my heart in submission and surrender to you. What did Daniel do? He knelt down. Who else showed us a pattern of kneeling while they pray in Scripture? Well, the Bible tells us that Jesus knelt on the Garden of Gethsemane and he prayed. The Bible says that Stephen, the first martyr in the book of Acts, he knelt down and he cried out to God in surrender and he prayed. The Bible says that Peter also knelt down and he says that he was praying before the Lord. Solomon, when he dedicated the temple, he knelt down and he prayed before the temple of God. And also Paul, he said, I bow my knees before the Father in prayer before the Lord. You see, you see a heart that is fully surrendered and humbled before God. A humiliation in the presence of God when we're willing to kneel. Because kneeling is a position of humility. It's a position of surrender, of depending upon God. And what Daniel does here is that he goes and he depends on God. But notice how his prayer looks. Because it tells us that in verse 10 that this great prayer includes thanksgiving. <laughs> Now notice, in your hour of crisis, do you come with thanksgiving? <laughs> Here, Daniel was facing now the threat of going into the den of lions. And instead of coming to the Lord in panic, he comes to the Lord in thanksgiving. <laughs> do you see his attitude of peace, his attitude of dependence? There are often times, even in the year that we're living in this year, that we go to the Lord in an hour of crisis and we go in panic instead of thanksgiving. You see, these circumstances didn't change anything. It didn't change that Daniel was going to be a man of prayer. In fact, it tells us this in this verse, verse 10, as was his custom since the early days. It says he grew up with a strong, disciplined life of prayer. Now, why did Daniel have an excellent spirit in him? Because he had an excellent prayer life in him as well. And this was an uncompromising pattern in his life. He was disciplined in this area of prayer. Not only did Daniel have integrity before man, he had integrity before God when it came to prayer. And no law, notice this, or no threat now could keep Daniel from fellowship with God. There was nothing that can keep Daniel from fellowship with God. Because his, his prayer life was literally a matter of life and death. <laughs> and what we see here now is that not only he was disciplined in prayer, but he knew that this was his lifeline between him and God. Do you see that prayer even for you is your lifeline between you and God? And that's exactly why we ought to come to the Lord in commitment and in prayer. Notice when he came to him in prayer. It said he went where? In his upper room. How? Kneeling down. But when did he pray? It says that he prayed three times that day, giving thanks to the Lord as it was his custom. You know, I, I bet that Daniel and the psalmist David had something in common, and that was their communion with the Lord. How many times or how often do you spend throughout your day in prayer? Do you have a prayer life or is it just a prayer time? Notice in Psalms chapter 55, verse 16, it says this, As for me, I will call upon God, and the Lord shall save me. I will call on Him, and He shall save me. Notice when the psalmist says he's going to call upon God. Evening and morning and at noon, I will pray and cry out loud, and He shall hear my voice. When is it that you're called to call on God? Evening 
morning and at night I will pray, even at noon. Now, do you see that here, not only Daniel, but the psalmist David knew that they are to come to the Lord in communion and in fellowship now? Because they didn't want to sacrifice this area, knowing this, that the safest thing that you can do is obey God rather than men. I think we're, we consider a lot convenience and safety today. But one of the things that we have to remember when it comes to safety, when it comes to convenience, when it comes to comfort, it is that the safest thing that me and you can do is to obey God. Because anything outside of obedience with the Lord is a very dangerous place to live in. It's a very dangerous place to live in. So you see that Daniel is obeying God, and look at how they found him here in verse 11. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. What did they found him doing? They found him now being faithful. They found him being consistent. They found him being devoted now in prayer. He wasn't inconsistent when it came to his prayer. In fact, he was consistent. Nothing moved him. Nothing changed him. And it says he was giving not only thanksgiving, but in the following verse it says, then supplication. Yeah, what an amazing thing that his prayer life was first thanksgiving in the hour of crisis, and then it was supplication. Supplication means that he was crying out to God for help. He was making requests for the Lord, and he was saying, Lord, help me. He was taking your needs before the Lord in prayer. Do you take your needs before the Lord in prayer? You know, we, we said it even a few weeks ago that prayer should be our first resource, not our last resort. And oftentimes prayer becomes our last resort instead of our first resource when we go to the Lord and say, Lord, we're crying out to you. People of great faith will be people of great prayer. We see here in the life of Daniel, even as we continue reading verse 12, that the accusations or the opposition didn't end. But after there in verse 12, it tells us this, And they went before the king and spoke concerning the king's decree. They knew that they would find Daniel praying. They would find him consistent. They would find him diligent. He wasn't inconsistent. Oftentimes we're very inconsistent in our faith or in our prayer life. But Daniel was consistent and diligent. So they go to the king and they ask the king, Have you not signed a decree that every man petitions any god or man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? O king, have you not signed this order? That anyone who prays to anyone else is going to be casted into the den of lions? Have you not signed this order that anyone who violates this command, there's going to be some consequences? Well, for Daniel, that didn't matter. Because he was looking to please the Lord only. And it says here that in the next verse, the king answered, and it said, this is true according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which does not alter. Well, the king responded, that's true, and I signed it according to this law that will not change. So they answered him, verse 13, and said before the king, that Daniel, <laughs> notice as they bring accusations, who is one of the captives from Judah, does not show due regard or doesn't obey, does not respect, have no respect for you, O king, or for the decree that you have signed, but makes his petitions three times a day. Not only does he not obey, but he's disobeying it three times a day. He's consistently being disobedient. Now here we see that Daniel has a reputation for ob obedient disobedience. Now what does that mean? 
that he's obeying God before he's obeying man. And I think that we, even in the time that we're living in, we have to remember that our first obedience and our first loyalty, our first faithfulness is to the Lord. And anything that contradicts and anything that gets in the way of that is getting it in the way of our relationship with the Lord. Now notice what happens here. And, and when the king heard these words, verse 14, what happens? That he's very displeased or he regrets his decision. It says that he was displeased, it says, with himself. And he said his heart to Daniel to deliver him and labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. He tried until the sun went down that day and how he can deliver Daniel. He, he regretted that he had made this decision. He was displeased in himself. He wasn't displeased in Daniel. <laughs> Do you notice here that, that the king here knew the integrity of Daniel, that he was not disappointed in Daniel? In fact, he was disappointed in himself because he has signed this law. And in verse 15 it says, And these men approached the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and the Persians that no decree or statute which the king establishes must be changed. So they want to keep him accountable. O king, we want to impose charges. And these charges that you sign, they cannot be changed, king. So therefore, we must now cast Daniel into the den of lions. Now notice what happens. So the king gave command, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. But the king spoke here, saying to Daniel. Notice what the king's response or calling out to Daniel is. Because in verse 16, it says, Your God, whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. <laughs> Man may not be able to deliver you, but God will always deliver you. How many times have we tried to put our faith and our trust when we are in the hour of crisis for someone who we think has the power, the influence, or the authority to give us deliverance when our deliverance comes from God? The king himself understood that God was going to deliver Daniel. And we see that here that the king Darius had faith and it was the faith that was born out of Daniel's trust in the Lord. And he saw that Daniel trusted the Lord so much, and he was so confident in the Lord that the king Darius himself had faith in the Lord that he would deliver Daniel. In fact, it says here in the, the New Living Translation, your God, whom you consistently serve, he will himself deliver you. You know what the deliverance of God looks like? It looks like his provision. The deliverance of God looks like his protection. The deliverance of God looks like his preservation and like his power. And here Daniel was about to experience all those three in the lion's den. Do you realize that oftentimes in our lives where we experience the provision, the power, and the protection of God is in the hour of crisis? <laughs> is when we find ourselves in the den of lions? <laughs> And oftentimes the Lord wants to take us into the den of lions so that he can show us how his mouth is able to shut the mouth of lions. Now notice how this is the Lord protecting and preserving Daniel. Why? Because he's continually serving him. Who you live for and serve and please faithfully. Why is it that now the Lord is going to stand for Daniel here? Not only because Daniel has great faith or a great prayer life, but because Daniel has integrity, and he's faithfully serving the Lord. Let's look at verse 17. Then a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring, 
when the signets of his Lord, that the purpose concerning Daniel may not be changed. There is no other way out but God. <laughs> Do you see how oftentimes we find ourselves in a place where there's no other way out but the Lord? There's no other way or resource but the Lord. Here we're going to see that Daniel's faith is put to the test. Have you ever been in a place where your faith is being put to the test? Where nothing else, unless the Lord shows up, it's a matter of life and death. Unless the Lord shows up, there's no way out. Unless the Lord shows up, this is a very dangerous situation to be in. And here we're going to see that now not only it's a prayer crisis, but it's also a faith crisis. Do you believe that God will provide? Do you believe that God will protect? Do you believe that God will preserve? Do you believe that God will deliver you? Because Daniel believed every single one of those things. And that's why he didn't compromise when it came to prayer. Because he knew that his God was big enough now to deliver him in the event that he found himself in the lion's den. <laughs> so we see that as his faith is tested now, verse 18, that Daniel knows that God is also sovereign. What does it mean that God is sovereign? Notice, some of us today need to know the doctrine of sovereignty. Sovereignty means that God is all-knowing and that God is in control. Oftentimes, there are things in our life that we think that are out of control, but they're on per God's perfect timing. Well, Lord, why did you allow me to be in the lion's den? Well, God is sovereign and in control, and He has a plan for you to reveal Himself to you even in the lion's den. Or why is it, Lord, that I'm having to wait so long to receive the blessing of God in my life? It is, it's coming too late when, it, in fact, it's in God's timing. Or why is it, Lord, that you put me in this place prematurely where I feel that I'm not ready? Well, God in His sovereignty is never late, and God in His sovereignty is never early. He is right on time. So here Daniel is learning that God is sovereign. He is in control. Therefore, he has no fear. Now, do you see here that the sovereignty of God, the understanding of God, expels all fear in our life? I know God's in control. And I truly believe because of my prayer life, like Daniel, that here, even in the hour of crisis, God will protect, God will provide, God will preserve me. And he will show himself strong. Notice what happens in verse 18. Now the king went into his place and spent his night fasting. No musicians were brought before him. Also, his sleep went from him. The king went back to his palace. He couldn't sleep. He was wrestling. He said, don't bring me any music. He didn't want any entertainment now. He was not in a good mood now, and he was wrestling with the thought of Daniel in the lion's den. <laughs> he was worried. You know, it's interesting that the king was more worried outside of the lion's den than Daniel was in the lion's den. <laughs> Why? Because Daniel had a faith in God. Do you see how oftentimes even the safest place to be in is in the will of God? Even the, the, the places that brings you the most peace is when you're in the will of God? We're just waiting for the Lord to show up. I think oftentimes we look for the safest place that are going to accommodate our emotions and our feelings. When the Lord's saying, that's only going to bring you worry that season. Let me lead you and bring you into the places where you see me reveal myself to you by faith alone. You know how God reveals himself? By faith alone. God reveals himself to the seeking heart by faith alone. And it tells us here in verse 19, the king rose very early in the morning and went in haste or in a hurry to the lion's den. 
He was going in a hurry. He was running now to find out what was taking place in the lion's den now. And in verse 20, and when he came to the lion's den, he cried out with a lamenting voice. <laughs> what does this sound like? He cried out with a worried voice now. He cried out with a voice now uh, 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 of discouragement. He cried out with a voice of distress now, of anguish, of anxiety. He's crying out now to find out whether or not Daniel is alive. But notice here, it took some faith for the king to come and to cry out. Because the king, look at how he calls Daniel, even in the lion's den. The king spoke saying, Daniel, servant of the living God. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? That God's, the living God will place his servant even in the most difficult circumstance and then show himself strong on their behalf only for his glory. Servant of the living God. Wow, that, that, what a title to live by. He didn't say Daniel from Judah. He didn't say Daniel who is a Jew. He didn't say Daniel who is a satrap or a governor. He said Daniel, servant of the living God. That was his identity. That was his, his main now resource, the living God. That was his title. That was his position there. That was his dependence on being a servant of the living God. And I really pray that even today, as we end this year, and even as we go into the next year, that we would say we are servants of the living God, and because we're servants of the living God, no matter what we have to go through or sit in, the living God, as we serve Him, will deliver us and protect us and provide for us because our trust is in Him. You think that Daniel was living in the what-ifs? <laughs> Daniel wasn't living in the what-ifs. He was living, I know that God has me here, and here I'm going to fellowship with Him. Now notice as he's crying out here, to Daniel, he said, has your God whom you serve continually, has your God who you consistently serve been able to deliver you from the lions? Has God been able to deliver you from the lions? What a question that he asked Daniel here. He goes in a hurry and he says, has God been able to give you now rescue and safety from those lions now? There are so many people that try to bring conspiracies as to, well, that was, there weren't really lions. Or, or, or I've heard another one where they say, you know what, well, those lions weren't really hungry. That's exactly why they did no danger to Daniel. <laughs> well, how ridiculous does that, that sound? Or others were say, well, Daniel was actually hiding under straw. Therefore, the lions couldn't see him and they did not eat him. He was somewhere hiding in that den. I don't know about you. But I don't care if you hide a, 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 just a steak under a straw. If, if I'm hungry, I'm going to smell that steak. And they were able to know that Daniel was there. The only protection that Daniel had was the Lord now. But notice here, Daniel was trusting the Lord in the lion's den. Are you trusting the Lord in the lion's den? It was his private prayer that resulted in the public power. Oftentimes, we want public power, but we lack when it comes to private prayer. And therefore, we cannot see the deliverance, and we cannot have faith, even in the den of lions. Notice what Daniel responds here in verse 21. And Daniel said, O king, live forever. <laughs> what do you think that the king thought when he heard those words? O king, live forever. He gives him honor. He gives him respect. Daniel here has a good attitude in the lion's den. <laughs> 
Have you ever been in the lion's den? You have a, such a bad attitude. I can't believe that God allowed for me to happen. And this king who signed this decree, it's his fault as to why I'm here. Daniel could have said, hurry up and get me out of here. Stop asking questions. <laughs> you know what Daniel does? He has a good attitude in there. Why? Because he spent time in there praying. You know oftentimes why we have a bad attitude in crisis? Because we, we, we're not spending time in prayer. But Daniel has the good, a, good, a godly character that is highlighted and manifested. He shows respect because in the hour of crisis, he does one thing and he's praying. Notice what he says here in verse 20, 22. My God sent his angel. My God, I'm a servant, and it was my God. It was the God of heaven, the one true living God, has sent his angel now. Notice what it has. He continues to give God the glory. He's giving God the glory here. He's allowing this to be a testimony. He's allowing this to be a praise report now. And he says here, My God has sent an angel and shut the lion's mouth so that, when he, that they would not have hurt me because I have found innocent before him. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. Wow, look at Daniel's integrity. Look at his faith that was tested. It says that in verse 21 that he went and he told the king in verse 22 that the Lord sent an angel to shut the lion's mouth. Why? So that they wouldn't hurt him. Because of two reasons, Daniel said. Why? Because I was innocent before God and I'm blameless before you. Do you see that? That it wasn't only his prayer, it wasn't only his faith, it was also his integrity. And God sent an angel, it was an angel of the Lord that went into the lion's den to serve Daniel's need. What does the angel speak about shutting the mouth of lions? You know what it speaks about? It speaks of the Lord's protection. And oftentimes, he is closer in seasons of prayer than we imagine. Oftentimes, we don't think he's that close, but there he has sent his angels, his protectors now for us, his guardian angels to shut the mouth of lions to protect us. And you look back in a season in your life and you say, Lord, it had to be your protection that preserved me during this season, and it was a season of prayer. The safest places to be in, the safest seasons to be in, is that when we turn a wilderness season into a prayer season. <laughs> we turn a crisis season into a prayer season. Has this season, this year, made you bend your knees more to prayer? Has it caused you to kneel before the Lord and trust in Him more? Because oftentimes, God was allowed this because He wants to turn this crisis hour into the prayer hour. And notice what happens here in this verse. It says that God sent His angel to meet the need, in fact, because I have done no wrong. Verse 23 finally says, Now the king was exceedingly glad. He was so joyful now for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no er injury, whatever was found on him. Now think about it. He was safe and nothing happened to him that was bad. <laughs> he was safe. No injury. I want you to write, just circle that, no injury. <laughs> because oftentimes we say, well, if I obey the Lord, it's going to bring me injury. Whether it's a physical injury whether it's an emotional injury, whether it's a now even mental and spiritual injury. And oftentimes we say, well, no, if I go out and I obey the Lord this way, then I'm going to compromise my health. I'm going to compromise my commodity. I'm going to compromise my safety. 
And, and, and we see here that in Daniel's life that God protected him from no injury. Now, does this mean that God is always going to protect in that manner? No, God works in different ways and different results in different events. He always does. He doesn't always work the same way every single time with the same results. He doesn't always do that. However, notice this. You can count on God Notice that he has a plan even in the times where you are called to trust him to the limits. And notice what happens in verse 23. It says, Now the king was exceedingly glad because there was no injury. They took up Daniel. Whatever's, and, and not only was there no injury, but it says here, because he believed in his God. Because he trusted God now. Because he believed in his God. Are you living on that side of faith? Or are you living on the side of fear? Are you living on the side of faith that you say, because I believe in God, I know he's going to meet my need. Because I believe in God, I know that he's going to preserve me. And it was the power here in the preservation in Daniel's life, and it had to do because he believed in God. And because he believed in God, he obeyed God. Now, there's something that we have to notice here, that God didn't keep Daniel out of the lion's den, but he protected him while he was in it. God didn't keep Daniel out of the lion's den, but he protected him while he was in it. And notice this, because he was, he was faithful, because he had faith in the Lord now, the Lord preserved and protected him through that season. You know when deliverance comes today to, to the church? How does deliverance come today to men and women of the Lord? Deliverance comes today in times of trouble to God's people as we tread now through that path of prayer. Are we treading now today through that path of prayer? Or are you treading through a different path, the path of fear? Deliverance never comes to your life as you're treading in that path of fear. Deliverance comes in your life as you're treading through the path of prayer. Because you know what prayer does? It fuels your faith. It fuels your faith. And when you feel that the lions in your life are about to attack, you know what you can do? You can claim on the promises of God through prayer. Now I'm going to share with you just four final points as we culminate this series now of faith, results of believing God. Number one is that faith, a living faith, a living faith is God-pleasing, not man-pleasing. We all need to hear that today. A living faith, a faith that trusts God, it is God-pleasing, it's not man-pleasing. What does that mean? That we must trust God if we want to please Him. You must trust God if you want to please Him. The Bible says in Hebrews eleven six that without faith it is impossible to please God. <laughs> because he who comes to Him... Now, comes to God, must believe that He is, and that He is a reward of those who diligently seek Him. Hebrews eleven six. What does that mean for us? That, that He is there, and that He will reveal Himself to the seeking heart. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Therefore, a living faith is God-pleasing, not man-pleasing. Notice this. Anything that is outside of faith is sin. We have to remember that today. Anything that is outside of faith, it is sin. Because it's putting your trust in something other than God. It's putting your trust in resources. It's putting your trust in people. It's putting your trust in numbers. It's putting your trust in headlines. Anything outside of faith is sin. 
Because without faith, it is impossible to please God. Number two, a living faith faces obstacles. We will all face obstacles. Faces obstacles as opportunities for obedience. A living faith faces obstacles as opportunities for obedience. Oftentimes, there are seasons in our lives where we face obstacles and we think this is a moment to compromise. This is a moment for disobedience. This is our moment to put our trust off of God and put our trust in ourselves. Putting your trust in yourself is going to lead you to disobedience. Disobedience. In fact, it, it says in Hebrews 6.12 that you do not become sluggish or spiritually dull or indifferent, but imitate those that through faith and patience inherit promises. Faith and patience inherit promises. Faith and endurance inherit promises. This tells us that we ought to endure those obstacles, that we ought to wait, that we ought to carry those obstacles, that we have to say, Lord, I choose to stay under the burden of this obstacle and pray and have faith and wait now because my obstacles are not excuses for my disobedience. My obstacles are not excuses for my disobedience. Therefore, living faith faces obstacles as opportunities for obedience. Number three, a living faith is followed by victory. It's followed by victory. And not victory in your eyes, victory in God's eyes. A living faith is followed by victory. In fact, it, Daniel was named, and Daniel's story was named in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11. Do you remember as he was talking about the heroes and champions, this, this museum of faith now? In Hebrews 11 it says, Who through faith, Hebrews eleven thirty three, subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises. Notice this. Here's Daniel's story. And stopped the mouth of lions. <laughs> That's amazing. Stopped the mouth of lions. Oftentimes we're so scared of the mouth of the lion. We know that there is a greater hand that can stop the mouth of lions, and that's the hand of God. And here we see that a living faith is followed by victory. Finally, a living faith experiences the protection now and the power of God. A living faith experiences the protection and the power of God. What does this mean? That we have to trust God to protect and to provide. And Daniel 11 verse 32 tells us this, that those who do wickedly against the covenant shall corrupt with flattery but the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits but the people who know their God I want you to leave, leave you with this as we close this series the people who know their God the people who trust God the people who have faith in God the people who believe in God the people who faithfully have a commitment with God and serve God the living God the people who know their God Daniel eleven thirty two shall carry out great exploits. The people who know their God will carry out and take action. <laughs> take action. When you know your God, guess what you're able to do? You're able to take action. And some of us today need to take action to that which God has called us to do. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you.